This is the FM Gold channel of All India Video. In the program News Analysis, now we bring you a discussion on Jammu and Kashmir, the road ahead. The participants are Sushil Pandit, political analyst and Nikunj Garg, journalist. Mr. Pandit, now nearly three weeks have passed. Today also for the first time the Supreme Court has somehow intervened in this administrative decision that the government of India took of abrogation of Article 370 and the other provisions that apply and the change of status of the state of JNK. How do you see situation that has panned out in the three weeks that have elapsed since this decision was announced in the parliament? These have been most phenomenal three weeks in the living memory of a lot of Kashmiris. Not a single encounter has taken place. Not one person has died in the firing by security forces. There hasn't been any large riot that has consumed lives or property. Whatever has happened has happened only due to the violence unleashed by protesters. So to that extent, these are unprecedented three weeks in Jammu and Kashmir. And it is a testimony to the fact that if the administration wants to achieve peace, maintain law and order, it is within there to do that. Mr. Pandit would say that this is an unprecedented clampdown and the peace that you are talking about and many others are talking about is because of an unprecedented security clampdown. What happens if and when this security cover is removed? You are absolutely right. In anticipation of trouble, because there were speculations about reaction to certain political decisions, government administration preempted those possible events of violence. That is absolutely right. Now, what happens when you take it off? I'm sure it will be definitely much less compared to what would have happened if there had been a hot reaction to the events immediately thereafter. As time passes and reality begins to sink, the circumstances become mitigating and they act as a dampener on any kind of violent or frenzied move as a result of such decisions. I'm sure government is counting on that moderation in response as we go forward. And I'm sure with overwhelming presence, it will dissuade even those who are planning mischief because it seems government is very, very clear in terms of upholding peace, minimizing casualties and not letting go of the control of ground. So to that extent, those who are contemplating trouble, those who are bent upon creating disturbance on ground, would think twice. In the entire Kashmir discourse, particularly since the time militancy <coughs> broke out, unfortunately, two very large geographical areas with substantial population, at least in Jammu region, have always been relegated to the backseat. Jammu as well as Leyandadda. How do you see the reaction in these two places and situation unfolding in these two places in the last three weeks? I don't think Ladakh has ever celebrated the way they did this time. Their member parliament was seen dancing in public. There was music. People erupted in joy as if a bonanza was open for them. They never thought this would happen. A lot of people from Kashmir, like myself, never thought we would see in our lifetime such revolutionary change, not tinkering here and there. And Jammu also for the first time felt liberated, not just because the state was reorganized, but also because the central government for the first time meant business and the stranglehold that the valley had over Jammu and Kashmir, thanks to the kind of administrative apparatus that prevailed, did no longer apply. 
So there was a huge sense of relief. Now, land, law and order, finances would be closely supervised by the center and therefore corruption, nepotism, even all kinds of inequality as a result of identity would be erased. Some in Jammu have already started complaining about the fact that they need some kind of special protection because they don't want outsiders to come and snatch jobs, capture their land or the business opportunities and things like that. So you think that in times to come, Jammu region particularly, because Leh and Ladakh will not face that kind of intense competition because of the physical position of that territory. But Jammu region particularly would be able to withstand any kind of competition from outside and prosper? This was more of a rhetoric to advance that argument which said, please hold on to 370 and 35A. Because people whole land would be in jeopardy, they'll have to sell it cheap, money bags will come, and lo and behold, you will disappear. All those fears were exaggerated. They were more to invent argument against repeal of Article 370 and 35A. Nobody is queuing up to buy land in Jammu. It's very close to the border. It's a union territory. Even if there is a line for it, I'm sure people, those who have to sell, government will also think twice because it's a sensitive area. It's a bordering area. Jammu and Kashmir need stability. And money bags or otherwise, people are not going to suddenly change the demography and landholding pattern and property. It has happened nowhere in the country so far. Land has been open to purchase. Places like Goa, which are perhaps as hot in terms of tourist destination, business opportunities, still belongs to Goans. Kerala, name any place. I don't see whole-scale change of demography. So these are exaggerated fears. And if need be, I'm sure government will address those fears adequately. Yesterday, Home Secretary chaired a meeting, all the departments of the government of India, to see the situation, how it unfolds and how the transition to the union territory for which a cut-off date is there of 30th October. And today, though the government had constituted it before, but a group of ministers uh, also met on JNK, which will now be chaired by Minister of Law and Justice, Mr. Ravishan Prasad, and there are other ministers. Do you think in terms of the administrative movement from the state to a turncated, many would say, union territory, because the dark goes away, transition can be ensured smoothly and that there would be no large-scale administrative hiccups in that? There are advantages as well as disadvantages here. I'm sure those who are managing the transition will pay heed to it. By turning them into union territories, you've aligned them to a much larger pool of central government employees. And that gives you a lot of flexibility. Central government employees are transferable across territories, length and breadth of the country, wherever they exist. To administrative mechanisms, rules, paperwork, all that would take some nitty-gritty, some attention to detail. We've seen union territories becoming states. We've seldom seen states becoming union territories. So this would be perhaps the first time that will happen. A lot of people will learn along the way. But it is a matter of transition. Government, the system is mature enough to handle it. We have seasoned bureaucrats. We have institutions in place. And the way Home Ministry addressed complicated issue of 370, I'm sure other things, other issues are far, far less complicated and complex. Shouldn't be a problem there. Carders will be defined. 
departments and ministries will be defined, a line of command will be defined. And I'm sure as we talk, all this is being put through and by October. In terms of alongside this, winter months are approaching, particularly in Leh, Ladakh region, you will have to do the essential stocking up for the winter. Absolutely. For the civic stocks, medicines, fuel, other essential items, because now it will completely be a center's baby. Hmm. The exercise that previously JNK administration used to do will have to be necessarily done by the government of India. You think that will also alongside be a challenge? You are in a transition mode. You have to stock up. You have to also ensure that you know security restrictions are lifted to also ensure that Pakistan, which is the very big elephant in the room there, doesn't get a chance to create trouble. So you think all these things simultaneously will be quite a challenging task? We have been doing this year after year after year and maybe another couple of years till Zojila Tunnel is operative and the highway becomes all-weather highway. Army has been doing a great job as far as this is concerned. They are the ones who keep mobilizing the logistical end of it. They stock up for the army and civilians also get stocked up thanks to You see, the apparatus is there. It's already there on ground. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just the nomenclatures have changed. The same administration, those same district administrators, as they have been handling it in the past, they have new bosses to respond to. Instead of state government, it's central government. And because this is the first time central government is taking over the charge of security, of civil supplies, land, administration, they automatically are likely to be far, far more clued in a lot more careful to the erring on the side of caution to do this error-free because reputations are at stake and so is, as you rightly said, the security and stability because of our friendly neighbor trying whatever they might. Don't think they will take any adventurous action across the border. They're not in a situation to do so and they know we are on high alert. So I don't foresee big hiccup there. In fact, this is an opportunity for the center to showcase it to people that see what kind of difference can we make when we are not operating through a state government which is reluctant, which is arbitrary, which has been facing its own shortcomings over a period of time and also prejudices across region because their focus has always been the valley. Now that Ladakh is a union territory, has its own specific focus and no interference from the valley politician, no discrimination, it is an opportunity to showcase what a difference it could make. If I were handling this, I would drive this home as a huge opportunity to tell people on ground what a great change it has been for them. In terms of, other than the administrative aspect of this entire exercise, there's a political exercise and there's a political aspect and there's a lot of consternation in many, many sections about the arrest of the political activists, including the former chief ministers of the state. So the state has gone, but uh, the former chief ministers are there. So now the another ch- challenge in front is the release of political prisoners from detention. It is not as if the political prisoners have been taken in detention for the first time, but maybe the numbers are large this time. Maybe because of the historic decisions, the media focus is intense. And maybe that is why there is a greater amount of consternation. So you think, you know, alongside this process, which is administrative transition and, you know, other administrative exercise, the release of political prisoners is something that the government should start indulging in and try and achieve it as soon as possible for it. Because now that the Supreme Court is also seized of the matter, there would be judicial challenges to the entire situation as well. 
the enemy doesn't play by the Queensberry rules to a very large extent. The peace on ground is because the ringleaders are away. And this was a preemptive measure. Those who have taken this measure are in, in the best position to decide as to when and how much, in what manner should they let go. But individual freedom must always be servient to larger social security. These, even by judicial standards, these are elementary principles of jurisprudence anywhere. Individual privileges and securities must always and always be second-filled, subservient to larger public good and if they threaten public safety, public security, they have to be kept away from the scene. They are not prisoners so much as detainees. They are in the comfort very often of their homes. Some of the malcontents have been picked up and taken outside the state. Some are actually prisoners. They are in jails because of their past record. I think I'm sure there will not be one common standard for all. Depending on their potential for mischief, depending on their proclivity for upsetting peace, I'm also told that uh, these former chief ministers have been met by the administration. There is a communication going on with them even as they are kept away from public. It will be a calibrated uh, release. Slowly and gradually all the restrictions will go, but the speed of which, scope of which, scale of which is sole prerogative of those who are in administration, who are in charge of security and safety. And as I said, security and safety is the first concern not individual liberty at all, in a state like Kashmir, especially going by what their own pronouncements have been before they were detained. And that had a large reason for why they are in detention. Their behavior immediately preceding the decisions and announcements is one of the key reasons why they are where they are. So overall, you see it normalizing, if not very, very quickly, then in a realistic period of time? In weeks, more than months, we see things happening on ground as they used to be few weeks back. Thank you. You were listening to a discussion on Jammu and Kashmir, the road ahead. The participants were Sushil Pandit, political analyst, and Nikunj Garg, journalist. This program was produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. This program is also available on our website, newsonair.com. You may email your opinion about this program at airnstalks at gmail.com. 